Hello, everyone, and welcome to the August 22nd edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarn, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation news. Virtually every doctor practicing in high-risk specialties will face at least one malpractice claim during their career. And even physicians in low-risk areas have a 75% chance of facing a suit at some point. The good news for doctors, more than three-quarters of the claims do not result in any payments. The study, published in the New England Journal of Medicine, was based on data from 40,916 U.S. physicians enrolled in a large nationwide professional liability insurance program. The study's overarching finding is that roughly seven of every 100 doctors insured by that company are the subject of a malpractice claim each year. But less than two of every 100 have a claim leading to a payment. By age 45, 36% of doctors in low-risk specialties had already faced their first malpractice claim. The rate was 88% in high-risk specialties. Researchers concluded that doctors are correct when they say they face a constant threat of lawsuits. But the findings also show that the direct cost tends to be lower than most think. Psychiatrists and pediatricians faced the lowest risk of a malpractice claim, while brain surgeons and surgeons who operate on the chest or the heart faced the highest rates. Most specialties face a 5 to 10% per year risk of having a claim filed against a doctor. And now our fraud report. Rising prices and increased demand for prescription drugs on the black market have turned addicts, nurses, and even postal workers into alleged thieves. Reports of people illegally obtaining prescription forms and pills continue to rise at what law enforcement leaders say is an alarming rate. Kent Shaw, acting chief of the 250-member State Bureau of Narcotic Enforcement, said that this is the fastest-growing drug problem we have in California and the country. Voluntary reports of stolen prescription pads across the state have risen from three in 2004 to 120 currently. Tom Lennox, a a supervisor at the Federal Drug Enforcement Administration's San Diego office, said his agents have arrested or plan to arrest more than a dozen people in one case in which a nurse allegedly faked 157 prescriptions on forms she stole from a doctor's office. In Sacramento, the U.S. Attorney's Office expects a postal worker charged with 30 counts of stealing prescription drugs from the mail to soon plead guilty in the case. Reports of controlled substances missing or stolen from California pharmacies rose 44% over three years to just under 500 in 2010. And now, state and local drug enforcement officers are scrambling to deal with a $71 million state budget cut over two years that could shut down the state bureau in charge of enforcing narcotics laws. The Attorney General's office remains in talks with Governor Jerry Brown's office and the legislature about reversing what is called tragic cuts. Law enforcement officials say the declining funding along with inadequate technology is threatening to loosen the chain of defense against a boom of unusual and costly drug crimes. One of the Bureau's responsibilities is overseeing the 50 companies across North America that are allowed to print prescription pads for California doctors. 
Several printer, printer company owners said they've alerted the Bureau when pharmacists report that someone tried to fill a prescription that seemed to be on a counterfeit form or when doctors say a nurse is suspected of fraudulently ordering forms. The Bureau also manages the state database for tracking sales of prescription drugs such as Valium and OxyContin. By querying the system, a doctor can make sure a patient isn't trying to quickly get the same prescription multiple times from different doctors. A jury found Dr. Kevin Brown, the son of former Premier of Bermuda, guilty of sexually assaulting eight of his female patients and an undercover LAPD officer who posed as a patient. The eight-man, four-woman jury deliberated about one and a half days before finding Brown guilty of 21 counts as they deadlocked on the remaining eight felony counts. The case was prosecuted by a deputy, deputy district attorney from the Sex Crimes Division who said she was pleased with the verdict. Brown, the son of former Bermuda Premier Ewart Brown, was taken into custody after the verdicts were read. He had been free on $4 million bail. He faces nearly 17 years in state prison when he returns September 21st for sentencing. The jury found Brown performed unnecessary breast and vaginal exams on eight of his patients, including a girl who was 15 at the time. He also was found guilty of sexually assaulting an undercover female Los Angeles police officer who posed as a patient with an ankle injury. The majority of the sexual assaults occurred at the Crenshaw Expo Medical Center at 3631 Crenshaw Boulevard, where Brown practiced. And in medical news, a new study published in the Archives of Internal Medicine says that examining patients and taking a medical history are more useful to hospital doctors in diagnosing patients than high-tech scans. Tests such as CT scans and ultrasounds add to hospital bills, but doctors say that such tests given right after patients showed up in emergency rooms only helped with diagnosis in roughly one of three cases. There is also research showing that the radiation from multiple CT scans might increase the risk of cancer over the long term. To see whether such scans were really helpful, researchers followed all the patients who showed up at the emergency room of a teaching hospital and were subsequently admitted. Over about two months, researchers observed 442 consecutive patients. Each was separately examined by two doctors, a resident and a senior physician. Both doctors had access to results from all routine tests, including blood and urine analysis and any extra scans that had been done when the patient first got to the ER. The researchers later looked at how accurate the clinicians were in their decisions compared to the final diagnoses patients were given during or after their hospitalization. They also asked the doctors what factors they relied on most when diagnosing each patient. Both clinicians made the correct diagnosis between 80 and 85% of the time. Only about one in six patients had extra testing, mostly CT scans, usually of the head, done in the ER. The rest just had simple blood and urine or heart tests. But even for the patients who did have extra scans, the doctor said the results helped to make a diagnosis only about one-third of the time. Instead, patient history alone or history plus a physical exam were most important to a doctor's correct diagnosis in almost 60% of the cases. 
the study concluded that the doctoring process is still a personal communication between the patient and the clinician. It is not necessarily the technology that helps make a correct diagnosis. And in financial news, Transatlantic Holdings opened talks with a unit of Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway over a $3.2 billion takeover offer. However, Transatlantic already has an all-stock $2.9 billion offer to merge with Allied World Assurance Company. It also is facing a hostile $2.9 billion cash and stock takeover offer from Validus Holdings. Being courted by Berkshire Hathaway could force these other transatlantic suitors to sweeten their bids and possibly unleash a bidding war for the New York-based reinsurance company. Allied World and Validus have both seen the value of their bids fall thanks to the recent stock value declines. Transatlantic rejected Berkshire's offer as too low, but said the bid could lead to a superior proposal and offered to open talks if Berkshire signed a confidentiality agreement. And in regulatory news, the Division of Workers' Compensation has proposed new regulations that outline the procedure to request disability accommodations by public participants in DWC's activities, programs, or services. Disability accommodation regulations are required under the California Government Code to implement anti-discrimination provisions for individuals with disabilities when a state agency provides services, programs, and activities to the public. There are two sets of proposed regulations. One set is under the authority of the DWC Administrative Director, and a second set is under the authority of the Court Administrator. The proposed regulations set forth a framework for a disabled person to request a reasonable accommodation at times when they make use of DWC facilities. However, some of the proposed provisions may be controversial. Typically, accommodation requests should be made directly to the disability coordinators, not a judge or hearing officer, unless an immediate need arises during a legal proceeding. Under the proposed rules, an injured worker during the course of a hearing could ask to speak privately to the work comp judge to request an accommodation for the effects of his or her injury and could do so outside of the presence of the defense attorney. It is not likely that these communications will be without vigorous objection by litigants who claim it may violate judicial ethical standards. A public hearing has been scheduled for September 27th to permit all interested persons the opportunity to present comments about these proposed regulations. The Medicare 2011 update to the Hospital Outpatient Prospective Payment System was published in the Federal Register. As a result, the new DWC Administrative Director, Rosa Moran, signed an order conforming the Workers' Compensation Official Medical Fee Schedule to the federal changes pursuant to labor code requirements. Hospital outpatient departments and ambulatory surgical center fee schedule changes have now been made available to the public. Most of the changes apply to services rendered on or after September 15, 2011. Details can be found on the DWC website. The DWC has now also scheduled jet file transmission code testing. The two transmission code validation testing sessions will occur in September and November. Jet file allows electronic filing of multiple court forms and attachments in a single transmission by a secure file transfer protocol. 
those who develop jet file transmission code using technical specifications published by the DWC, <coughs> must test that code to validate the data can be received by the State of California servers, where it is picked up by the division and deposited into EAMS. The transmission code validation testing sessions are for prospective jet filers who have built a transmission method for their organization's use and for software vendors who have developed products for case participants and parties that will act as third-party filers on behalf of clients. Current trading partners and software vendors who want to change their currently validated code can also use this opportunity to test the new code. DWC Administrative Director Rosa Moran says that electronic filing is the way of the future. Jet filers bypass paper at district offices, getting documents in quickly and getting immediate electronic responses. She also claims that jet file will really help resolve cases more efficiently and streamline the workers' compensation court system. Each testing session will last two weeks. Validation testing will continue in 2012, so those developing jet file code now will have ample opportunity to validate that code in the future. The validation will take place at DWC headquarters in Oakland, but the test files will be sent from the submitter's location. Periodic phone conferences will be held as needed. Parties validating jet file code for the first time for any form must successfully submit at least six of each of the jet file forms they develop for filing per the schedule set by the DWC. And in legislative news, business owners and others who have long complained that companies are overburdened by state regulations have now voiced a great deal of concern about a proposal now moving through the legislature. A new bill, one of nearly 900 awaiting final action in the legislature, is intended to address back injuries sustained by hotel housekeepers. But it has revived a long-simmering debate over whether California has become a hyper-regulated nanny state. This year, businesses are crying foul over proposals such as the Sheets Bill. Its author, State Senator Kevin DeLeon, said scores of housekeepers suffer back injuries each year lifting heavy mattresses to replace flat sheets, and the issue is a personal one for him. His mother was a housekeeper. His measure would be the first law of its kind in the nation. It also would require special tools to enable maids to clean bathrooms without having to stoop or get down on their hands and knees. He claims that housekeepers have the highest rate of low back injuries in the hotel industry and these workers deserve much better. More than 7,400 housekeepers working in California hotels have filed workers' compensation claims for injuries just last year. Another proposal pending in the legislature would require hospitals to provide patient lifting equipment or teams of backup workers to help nurses avoid back injuries when they lift or move patients. The hospital and hotel bills are being pushed by employee unions representing nurses and housekeepers. They are opposed by industry groups that say they share the goal of protecting workers but object to blanket rules dictated from Sacramento. The dispute is particularly intense this year as California struggles with a tough economy and high unemployment. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, for past editions of our news, and for much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or iPod by searching for WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foltz with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. 
and please drop by again next week for more news.